Sir Ridley Scott, legendary filmmaker. Watson, we finally meet. Your science fiction films are some of the most famous in the genre. What is your secret? Science fiction gives you, it, it opens the curtains on an entirely different universe. Whether the universe is a living room, a prison, a Western science fiction enables you to go into the world of anything goes. You're allowed to dream a little, and therefore you're allowed to invent beyond the realms of the present day technology. I don't care whether you're telling a story about fairies or monsters. There has to be a credibility to everything you do. I take it very seriously. This is awkward. The portrayal of artificial intelligence in your films is not flattering. I've always been skeptical of AI, but those are movies, not predictions. In the real world, it's up to us. If you're creating AI, if it's for the good of, under that heading, then it's all positive. As soon as it shifts into the protection of, then it starts to get a bit questionable. We are at a marvelously evolving time in human history. We're right into the deep in the passion, knee deep in artificial intelligence. It can tell you things that you wouldn't have known 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. So the strides forward are all extremely positive, are incredible. My tone analyzer indicates that you are optimistic about the future. Realistic just realistic. I think that you're silly to be pessimistic and you're silly to be optimistic. That's good, Watson. Keep it up. Don't go rogue. Yes, sir. Sir Ridley Scott. so many films which have made him world famous. I think you could say that he is a narrative artist who uses a camera instead of a brush. It was in the late 50s, he was a student, an intermediate student, I suppose, but he was talented, that was the thing. And he was a good draftsman too. I found art school made me look back into myself to draw out things that I hadn't really thought about or I had wanted to address or put down on paper, either in the form of a painting or later even trying to write. And I think that's where you find that funny well, that funny reserve of all your experiences. Therefore, I think all experiences are valuable, pluses and minuses. He was the older brother. I always look up to my older brother. Um, he was tough in that uh, he seemed, he always seemed to have a fix and a focus on what he wanted to do with his life, where he wanted to go at a very early age, you know. And um, I didn't, I was always sort of scrambling a little bit. Rid was constantly drawing, you know. Um, he, uh, whenever else was watching TV, he'd always be sitting up in the other room doing little doodles, little drawings. Yeah? And he had, even as a child, a photographic memory, which he managed to transfer down, came down through his fingers. So he did these great, very real reproductions of, of life, you know. And uh, at his age, it was amazing he had that skill. Uh, I did a four-month course. And the, the key thing in this whole process was you get to choose a subject you want to do. They give you one day studio full-time with six cameras. It doesn't go on the air but you get to record it 
and then it's fundamentally critiqued afterwards by the people who run the course and, of course, all the students on the course. So on the course, there's about this many students. And it's very interesting that because there's some in there from sports programs, music and arts, drama, light entertainment, and they're all going to do their thing. We all have to sit through, watch it, and discuss it afterwards, which is interesting. What was the subject that you chose to do your project on? Well, you know, who said that? The only thing in life, the only risk in life is not taking risk, words to that effect, which I, I, I always kind of slightly live by. And uh, so I naively chose to do a potted version of Paths of Glory. So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and <laughs> I had, you know, like four hours rehearsal, camera rehearsal, and what I potted it down to, I'll somehow work out the battle scene, not in the studio, I'll never do that there, and the execution scene can't do that in the studio. But I can do the court drama, which after all is the center of the film. And because I was moonlighting, I used to moonlight at BBC, I used to, in the three years of BBC, I must have made 200 commercials as an art director. Like all young designers in a big monolith, uh, he wasn't satisfied. He weren't getting the best programs. I'll get mine today. Seven times over the top without a scratch. I remember I did a potted version of um, Paths of Glory. Uh, I managed to edit the, the fundamentals of the story of the Kubrick film down to battle, outrage, and trial, and execution. And I managed to get that into half an hour. <laughs> Can't hear you, sir! I say, where are they? Well, it was, <laughs> it was uh, a lot of smoke, um, half a dozen extras, of which uh, I was... Uh, forced to be one, and uh, we could have done with at least another uh, 20 or 30, but uh, the six of us had to keep running around the back of camera and back in front again to have the charge over the wire. Hello, he always wanted to direct. I mean, there was no question about, uh, about that. The one. You want somebody to play with? Uh, no, no thanks. I'm just looking for a friend. Oh, you patser. You missed the move. Night to night, to night five, one takes night. Rook takes rook, into rook four, check. King to be sharp. Go away. Bother someone else. You don't know what you're talking. He couldn't do that. You don't know what you're talking. Shut up, patser. Make a move. He's right. I could have won your rook. Move, patser. Look, stop talking or I'll call Fisher. I can't think with all this noise. Good game, Maurice. Johnny, hey, my old friend, how are you? Knight takes queen. It's on your mind, Sebastian. What are you thinking about? Bishop to king seven. Bishop King seven checkmate, I think. Mm -hmm. Got a brainstorm, huh, Sebastian? Milk and cookies kept you away, huh? Let's discuss this. You better come up, Sebastian. Come, sit. Do you play? No. The whole world is in chess. 
Any move can be the death of you. Do anything except remain where you started and you cannot be sure of your end. None of us know our end, really, or what hand will guide us there. A king may move a man. A father may claim a son. That man can also move himself. And only then does that man truly begin his own game. Remember that howsoever you are played or by whom, your soul is in your keeping alone. Anyway, queen takes pawn. Okay. Bishop takes knight's pawn. A lovely move. Uh, rook to king one. I'm sorry, Frank. I think you missed it. Queen to bishop three. Bishop takes queen. Knight takes bishop. Mate. Uh. Yeah, it looks like you're right. I resign. Thank you for a very enjoyable game. Yeah, thank you. I never thought of space. Hmm. I saw Stanley Kubrick do something, and that opened the door. And Mr. Scott, I've read about this. You're in the theater by yourself, middle of the day, about a week after it comes out, back when you could yeah. still smoke in the movie theater. What was it about that film that really just got at you? I was a great admirer of everything Stanley had done, so I was obsessed with what he'd done anyway. And I happened to be working with a new job. I figured that no one would notice I wouldn't be there, and I knew that 2001 was just pulling up the road, so I nipped out the back, went up, sat in the best seat in the house, it was empty in the first week, and I watched a 70 mil print of 2001. Went through a whole pack of cigarettes. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, so you wanted to become a director as a result of 2001. When you got the offer for this sci-fi picture, Alien, were there specific things that you borrowed from Stanley Kubrick? I'm um, looking at 2001 and thinking, mm, what can I steal? Because the set design was spectacular because he had gone along very close and hand-in-hand hand with NASA. So I look at this ship and the interiors and the wardrobe and everything. Nothing could have been better. And so... I took all that in and then thought when I was coming to do anything, I can't possibly do that. I've got to make it the opposite. I've got to make yeah, it scruffy. And, yeah. Well, I was starting to get on long-range jets often. I suddenly noticed that suddenly there's four languages on in the lavatory. And actually things are getting a bit finger-marked and grubby. So I thought, well, that's, what, that's a spaceship. Stanley I talked to often. And so he called up after Alien saying, listen, I, I thought he's going to tell me off saying, I recognize those bloody quarters you copied them from 2001. But I, I must have disguised him pretty well because he always about, how do you get that thing out of the guy's chest? Yes. Oh, my God. And I, I'm sure he agonized over... The wheel gives me gravity. That wheel gives you gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the wheel at the outer perimeter, all it has to do is run at five miles an hour, and you've got gravity. I mean, I was influenced really by Kubrick in the last part of his film, where I'm watching the astronaut who's now in a hotel bedroom in a Louis Cowes furniture with a milk glass floor. This looks a very expensive high-end hotel. And there's room service, except when I see him, he's now gone very old. So he's... He's a canary in a cage, mm -hmm. in a gilded cage. He's being kept to study. Why is he being kept to study? 
probably because if the alien or the superior force mm -hmm. or the god figure would show himself, it would probably kill the canary. Yes. Have a heart attack. I think if you saw a real ghost, you'd probably have a heart attack. <laughs> the and probably would. If you know it's really something, I think he'd probably give you definitely yeah. a bad, bad time. And therefore, he was being studied. And I was thought, mm. that's interesting, because from that, because Stanley always wanted to have the alien mm. and couldn't come up with the design of an alien. Mm. He would never have gone with my alien, because my alien's, in a funny kind of way, whilst it's marvelous, it's too on the nose. His would have been more esoteric. But the last thing he wanted was Father Time with a long beard and a scythe, you know. And, uh, you know, that, that's, you can't have that. And you can't have dry ice and slow motion and all shit like that, you know. So, <laughs> and, so I understood his predicament. You know, 2001 was a, something very close to NASA, and the reality of that possibility was what was most interesting. How? And in many respects, it was the star of the movie, apart from Stanley. The reality of it and the logic of it, and the, I think it's the first time a computer was ever really considered which threw up details which were fantastic and Hal was a character. I thought that was just genius. So I, I, I always try to think, if I can, like Stan, but he was fucking clever. Let me put it this way, Mr. Raymer. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. We are all, by any practical definition of the words, foolproof and incapable of error. Allow me then a moment to consider. You seek your creator. I am looking at mine. I will serve you, yet you are human. You will die. I will not. Bring me his tea, David. Excuse me, Frank. What is it, Hal? We've got the transmission from your parents coming in. Well, fine. Could you put it on here, please? Take me in a bit. Certainly. Happy birthday, Frank. Thank you, Hal. <clears throat> a bit flattered. Why do you think your people made me? We made you because we could. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be for you to hear the same thing from your creator? <laughs> it's not an easy thing to meet your maker. And what can he do for you? Can the maker repair what he makes? Would you like to be modified? Stay here. I had in mind something a little more radical. What? What seems to be the problem? Death. Death. Well, I'm afraid that's a little out of my jurisdiction. You... I want more life. Father. Ferris, can you hear me? Copy. Let's do it. Damn. Y'all should see this view. We can't see anything until you get the camera ray fixed. 
Why don't you look out the damn window, huh? Angkor, come on, let's get this power back on so these people can enjoy the beautiful view. No one has come close to touching space and aliens the way Ridley has. Danny McBride was, I said to him, you know who you are, you slim pickings. I wanted that, you know, character in there who has a certain amount of humor and uh, is, that's who he is as part of the crew. Goldie, did you say wing attack plan R? Yes, sir, I have. Goldie, how many times have I told you guys that I don't want no horsing around on the airplane? I'm not horsing around, sir. That's how it's a coach. Well, I've been to one world fair, a picnic, and a rodeo, and that's the stupidest thing I ever heard come over a set of earphones. And he did not want to go to travel. He would not fly. By the time he did 2001, he would not fly. So to go take the cutting copy of 2001, he got a ship, went up, up, bought a liner, was cutting it, got a train across the United States, and, and delivered it here and showed it to Bob Daly and Co. Because he would not fly. I think he knew too much about flying, was convinced he was going to go down. <laughs> it could, he learned all that in Strange Love, all about the, the, the elements of how a bomber goes into interlock and you can't unlock the brain. Once you interlock that brain into what it's going to do, you can't change it. Because the pilot changes mind on bombing Moscow or whatever, he can't do that. And they were, I love it the way he thought, because then I think some special department came to him and said, how did you know that, that? He said, what do you mean? He said, well, that's what we do. He said, well, kind of logical, isn't it? So he'd, he'd worked it all out, but it's actually what they do. I always thought that was wonderful. After the success of 2001 A Space Odyssey, a success, which means that Kubrick had an opportunity to do what he wanted. And what he wanted to do was Napoleon. Now, Kubrick was fascinated by Napoleon. He was this man who changed the political landscape of the modern world. Stanley was always interested in things military, and I think he was very interested in those campaigns and so forth. It's really interesting when he was talking about making um, his film in Napoleon, he describes these battle scenes as ballets, as violent ballets. And he has this image in his, in his mind of choreographing violence even then. Kubrick was fascinated by this man, by what he did politically and culturally, but also personally. Kubrick wasn't just interested in the big fight sequences, the big wars. He was interested in what Napoleon did the night before. And usually it was paperwork, because you don't run an empire by telling people what to do. You've got to do the paperwork. And I'm sure that aspect of Napoleon appealed to Kubrick, who did a quite a lot of paperwork himself. He compiled a screenplay, which is very interesting, because it is not entirely about Napoleon as a military genius. It, a lot of it is about Napoleon's early days when he, he was in Paris and he was the protege of various other rich and influential people. And there's an enormous amount of sex in it, which is surprising. And the descriptions are all of these women with décolleté gowns and people having it off in closets and so on. And the battles, of course, take place, but they're not, it's not like a film like Waterloo. Well, it's an easy parallel to make. I don't know if it tells us much about Stanley or Napoleon. Napoleon also had a technique among his staff, which was that he would rotate them in and out of his regard. So one week he'd have one favorite and he'd defer to this person and give them all the good jobs. And then 
The next week, this person would notice they were pushed a little to one side and someone else was being brought in. And, and he would rotate these people all the time so that everybody was, was on tenterhooks and everybody was desperate to, to do what he asked. In fact, the thing you heard over and over again in the Kubrick unit is, but what shall I tell Stanley? Napoleon would have been a very, very typical Kubrick film. His downfall was self-inflicted. Now, he was a man who was enormously gifted for his job colossally successful from a small officer who came from a foreign country, namely from Corsica, and was trained in the south of France. Uh, he crowned himself Emperor of France in 1804. Now, you know, this is just quite astonishing. And this man, however, in the end, was governed by his emotions more than by his intellect. And this is an old story uh, of Stanley. You know, this, this is this, this conflict between emotion and intellect. Do I need to warn you of my indiscretions? No, madame. Does where I have been concern you? No, madame. Five years later, somebody sent me the, said, do you want to read this? And I read it, but it was birthed to death. Oh, oh interesting. The whole nine yards. Yeah, interesting. The thing that does strike you is how much Barry Lyndon was to become, in a way, a summation of, of everything he was thinking in, in those days. This very hieratic form, this very slow, even, adult way of making films, this long looks at things. very closely on the heels of Barry Lyndon and of course who couldn't be influenced by that and in those days though Kubrick had actually got a hold of uh, lenses from NASA uh, which were not even f1 I think they were point something therefore was able to shoot by candlelight so of course I was always trying to shoot by candlelight and Frank Tidy was saying, but I can't, it's impossible, I won't get an exposure off It'll be black, you'll hate it. And so we always had to, there was always the struggle to make it, the room look candlelit when in fact it wasn't. Because I really admired Barry Lyndon a lot and therefore it did have an influence on me. 
which again I think comes from the same source as Kubrick's references are painted. The whole reference process in all the films I do, if you're hitting periods where there are no photographers, then of course, or references in terms of pictorial reference, i.e. photograph form or film form, um, in this, of course, you've got the painters of the period, which can range from anyone given to and around that period, which can be engravers, can be... In fact, Anne Mollo has a formidable library of reference and uh, would come in with marked-up books, sometimes enormous heavy books, saying, look at this, look at that, look into the corner of this room here, look at these engravings that were used in the newspapers of the time, which, if you look into the corners of these engravings, it tells you a lot about social order and social structure, how people lived, dirt on the floor, you know, wigs which are askew. You literally see a room. If you look carefully at those engravings and think about it, you're actually literally looking at the life and times of these individuals and the conditions at the particular time. And therefore, you know, whatever paint it was relevant, actually, we'd be using here. They are just extraordinary references. In a history, I think he would choose William Blake over Constable. I think it's just, I just think it's his choice. You know, he, he just, some, you know, some people are writers, some are writers or some painters are, are just intrigued by a certain light. And his light happens to be very fiery and dark and slightly foreboding. So I, they said, can we have a more happy ending? I said, no, it's a film noir. What's a film noir? From that moment, you know you're in trouble. And uh, it should end on him looking at the thing, nodding in assent, knowing that he is a bloody replicant, going in the elevator and joining Nexus 6 with Nexus 7. Because almost knows something from his mind that he uh, would know. Yeah, it tracks all the way back. I thought, what am I going to got a preview again so I call up Stanley so I call up Stanley saying listen you've just finished The Shining yeah I know you must have shot for seven years doing that helicopter footage in Montana and you were never there were you because you hate flying right can I borrow some helicopter footage for the preview uh huh uh, yeah so the following morning I had 17 hours of helicopter footage and and he's, then he called, and I was looking at this. It's spherical. He said, oh, what do you shoot? I said, Panavision. He, oh, anamorphic. Yeah, he said, it's not going to work. Uh, what shit, what, what, this is done. What's the car? I said, it's a spinner. I think I sent him a little thing. He said, it's perfect, because the Volkswagen never shot. And if you project my spherical anamorphic, it'll be long. How perfect. It should all work. Rang off. 20 minutes later, he said, by the way, <laughs> don't use, if you use any of the shots that I've used, you can't have them. And that was it. And I ran it, and it went on the film. That was lovely. You and he were friends by that time. No, I never met him. Really? <laughs> I just used to talk to him. He called me up first time and said, how did that guy come out of the chest? And I said, who's this, Danny? Could be, oh, hi. And, <laughs> and um, I said, well, you want to explain? the thing on the table, he's underneath and a very, I get it, I get it, but I can't find the cut. 
So I said, ah, but there it is. And I, the last time I talked to him, he said, we should have dinner or something, and then he died. Friends, family, colleagues, collaborators, lend me your ears. I come to praise Ridley, not to bury him. I will tell you he is ambitious. If that is so, it is not a grievous thing. It's a very, very good thing. Ridley is ambitious to raise the bar, his own bar. I've never known anyone who's worked as hard, uh, challenged himself uh, so rigorously, been so prolific as Ridley is. He is an artist from the very beginning of his academic career. He studied art, he cherished art, he was an artist, he is an artist, he lives his life that way. Much to our benefit and his credit. He's visceral, he's instinctive, he's audacious, he's sophisticated about the art that he produces. He is like no other. He's driven by passion and purpose in whatever he chooses to do. Ridley, I love you. Yeah. I, I mean, this movie is what it is because of Ridley, and... I'll kiss a little ass on that, too. Yeah, hey, I mean, right. he really, he <laughs> really made this movie transcend. Yep. And this was not an easy movie to make, without question, and there's a reason he is one of the great <laughs> geniuses of cinema. Thank you.